Hey everyone, welcome to episode 6 of the Tech Huddle. I won't waste too much of your time on the intro on this one, we're doing another interview, with me, about 23Shout, my last startup, and the 7 key lessons I learned while running it. Alright, let's just dive into it. Welcome to the episode everybody. Today, we're doing a bit of an interview, a bit of a different style. I am going to be interviewing Pat, and we want to talk about his most recent uh, venture, 23Shout, which was a startup that he bootstrapped initially, built himself in his spare time around work, then got funded as part of the Scalata Accelerator program, and eventually ended up winding up. And so we thought this would be a great opportunity to, for you to learn a bit more about us and the projects that we have worked on, and starting with Pat. So Pat, let's do it. We've been talking about this episode for a while, so I'm really glad that we can get into it and, and really unpack your journey from 23 Shout. Thank you, Kelvin. It's an absolute pleasure to be on the podcast. Thank you for having <laughs> me. Uh, I, think, I think I nailed that intro, I've got to say. You did really well. That yeah. was really awesome. Was that was only the, second the, try? the fifth take. Yeah, the fifth take. No, oh yeah, the second. <clears throat> yeah, the first try actually. Uh, no, that was that was really good. Well done. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, we're getting off the off topic already, but so I'm actually going to be. If it's okay, I'm going to do the talk which I gave to a um, a local a local meetup group earlier in the year. Was it this so twenty three shout. Hmm? It was this year. It was in February. Yeah. Yep. And I, I actually went underwent that when I was still having some uh, medical stuff done, and my I was quite quite drowsy at the time, and I don't think the uh, meetup leader knew exactly what I was doing, and I didn't know exactly what I was doing, and we we're both kind of confused as to why I was getting up and talking. But the talk went quite well, actually, so I, I thought, thought I might share it. That was pretty good. Thank you. So the talk is uh, essentially about what what was twenty three shout and the journey um, uh, that I went on as part of that. This is not some how to get funding sort of journey uh, 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 talks. It's more of a uh, a personal journey of how it worked for me. And then also the big lessons that I learned from running this startup. A lot of, a lot of what you do in life is more about just taking away the learnings and the lessons than it is the actual outcome. That was certainly the case for 23 Shout. These are lessons which I've taken away, which I learned in a very big, very expensive way. And they're going to be absolutely invaluable the next time I go around. And I hope that I can share them with you so you don't have to learn them yourself through the uh, the outcome which I unfortunately had. But Or if you don't learn from them, at least you'll know that other people have gone through the same pain that you have. So I guess the way we want to run this, uh, Kelvin, is that I'll be doing the talk. And please feel free to act as the crowd uh, or the interviewer if you would like, and just jump in there with any questions, any any expansions that you'd like to request, and I'm more than happy to do so. I will interrupt as often as I can. Yes, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so let's begin. What was 23Shout? 23Shout was essentially a team phone that runs in your browser. It took a long time to be able to explain it that quickly. Earlier on in the life of the company, there was a lot of different ways I would explain that, but that is essentially what it was. I don't know if a team phone that runs in your browser, like that does sound clear for both of us because we mm -hmm. have a bit more context. So could you explain a concrete use case where it was valid? So the main, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. 
So an absolute perfect client for us was, for example, Exploit, who was still on the homepage of the website, which is still up there, which doesn't actually do anything. But I just sort of keep it around, just like look at every now and again, because it was so pretty. <laughs> it's so pretty. Uh, yeah, exactly. I spent a lot of time on it. But Exploit, for example, it does shipping and logistics globally. So you're paying 100 grand a pop to, in order to move a cargo container from A to B. Let's say you want to get something from Sydney to Shanghai or from Shanghai to New York, for example, you would go through a platform like Explorate, which allows you to then book that passage of your cargo, be it by ship, be it by plane, uh, be it by land. If there was some magical bridge that now connected Asia to the United States, I'm sure they could do that as well. And then you would get assigned a dedicated account representative who would uh, you would be able to contact in order to right. check on the status of your shipment, right? Uh, seems really obvious, but they were one of the first people to be actually able to actually do these sorts of things online at Viora website. So if you wanted to contact your account representative, you would call the number and then there would be a table with around 13 people sitting around it and a mobile phone sitting in the center. Remember, this is a startup, okay? The mobile phone would ring. They would pick up the mobile phone, ask who you want to talk to and then pass it to them. And they, that was their system. And you could only do one call at a time. And it worked. For, for what, it, what it was, it worked. And that's totally fine for a startup. Just do what you have to do to get it working and out there. Don't over-optimize the system. However, uh, along with things like COVID, with people working from home and increased, uh, increased usage of their platform, it just wasn't going to work any longer. So now with 23Shout, they could have all of their account representatives just have an app on their phone who knew who they were. They would log into their 23Shout accounts. And then when somebody called in, the account lead, so someone like someone on the team could pick up, the account a team leader could pick up and say, who do you want to talk to? And say, oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. You want to talk to Kelvin? And then just transfer the call directly to them. Kelvin can see it's their client coming through, coming through from the account inquiries line, pick up the phone and have the conversation. Or you could even rig it up so that these individual customers would automatically route through to the correct person. And if they're already on the phone or unavailable, they would leave a message for them, call later, that sort of thing. So that was 23Shout. 23Shout was able to do that sort of um, capability. It was all built on top of the Twilio platform. Hmm. Uh, it's tech stack. If, you're, if you are wondering, was React and Flask as a backend? I'd love to talk about it more. But <laughs> that's essentially the breakdown of 23Shout. It ran in your browser, it ran on your mobile phone. It was very beautiful. It was very cool. So another another interesting use case would be uh, like inbound and outbound call centers for like sales call centers. So exactly, and in fact, that, that was its first client. In in, in which is uh, something I'd like to talk about. Really, is that well, I'm jumping ahead of myself because I'm about to talk about that anyway. But let's talk right. about the actual outcome of Twenty Three Shell, okay. which is that it failed. Are we skipping to the end? <laughs> no, believe it or not, this is actually the beginning. I just don't want to let, let people think that I'm some sort of millionaire. I'm not. I almost went broke with 23Shout. Yeah. Uh, as with most startups, it, it will unfortunately drain your money as well as your time and your mental sanity 90% of the time. But it was a commercial failure. And there was a variety of reasons for that. Now, I want to take you through the things I learned through that failure and also that led up to that failure. So hopefully you don't have to when you start your own business. And if you have any other questions about what happened or uh, uh, about my experience during that, or you want to share your ex- similar experiences, I'd love to hear them. Please reach out on Twitter or on the website. We have an email there. I'd love to talk about it. We so the first email. thing I want to talk about. <laughs> we, have, we have an email? 
Are you getting I'll on? get us an email. <laughs> I'll get it. Okay, I'm just going to put my email out there, okay? It's uh, it's contact at techhuddle.show. If you email that, we will get your email and we will reply to it, I promise. Oh, excellent. That, that's amazing. Sorry, yeah. I, didn't, I didn't even realize we had an email, so winning. We don't, but we will by the time this I was thought about giving out my real personal email there for a second, but no, I don't think it's fine. No, um, so, so, in so just before you get into the lessons you, you've learned, and sorry if I'm jumping ahead mm-hmm. a little bit, but what was mm-hmm. the? But what's number five? Yeah, go on. What was the total time frame <laughs> from idea inception? How long did you bootstrap for? How long? When did you get into the accelerator? Uh, just so you know, what was the time frame and a rough breakdown of the stages of that time frame? That's a really good question, and it actually falls into my first lesson. Okay, great. Then yeah. go ahead. See, I knew that was coming. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Which is where did the idea actually come from? Right. Where do good startup ideas actually come from? Which is, it's very simple, actually. If you're umming and ahhing about an idea for a business and you don't know what to start, this the obvious advice, like the most genuine advice I can give you is that good startup ideas come from real pain points that you can validate by selling a prototype. So the earliest version of this wasn't even called 23 Shout. It was called Nicecore. It first uh, came up in 2017, I think, was the earliest that it, it had happened. I was working at a, a sales company. I wasn't a salesperson. I was, um, as the CTO, I was working there, and which is you know a bit of a joke at, at, <laughs> at that stage of my life. I can't remember how old I was, and I was a CTO. I was the only person there who did anything with the computers, so they made me CTO. But we were using, at the time, mobile phones, uh, in order for agents to call people. So it was a room full of 21 people with mobile phones with SIM cards calling out. And then it would be my job every week to go and get a bunch of new SIM cards because the telephone company would shut them down once they realized we were running a call center. They probably all get blocked from spam as well. So you'd, uh, you'd have to go get new SIM. Yeah, so if the phone company didn't get shut down, they'd get mm-hmm. you know, universally banned because everybody would register them as you know sale, an incoming sales representative. So you'd need new numbers. Exactly. Yeah, yeah and, and on top of that, there's probably like a, a million SIM cards out there with my personal address and phone number and everything tied to them. Because in Australia, you have to verify your identity you and do. it becomes tied to the SIM card. Yeah, it was a little bit odd. Uh, you know, if the police ever looked into it, I've got a lot of phone numbers. <laughs> yeah, you know, the organization you worked for could have provided their details for you to buy the SIM cards with. Oh, I think they knew all about that and didn't mind me using my details is a good way to put that after that we switched to a a a sim box in the corner which is basically a really interesting little server you could pull out one of maybe 20 blades and then each blade could then have 10 sim cards slotted into it and then as you made phone calls it would then route through and just randomly choose a sim card for which one it wanted to make the phone calls with very clever, but it meant that it would not overuse a single phone number for dialing out. Yeah. This is still how a lot of phone call centers work. Mm. Believe it or not, they run on extremely old technology. Some of them running Windows ME, Windows XP, as you would expect them to. These are not super up-to-date, highly sophisticated, technically organized organizations. Now, the end of that SIM box came when we upgraded to a newer system, which is essentially a VoIP dialer in the browser which allowed you to put in a script. It allowed you to put in customer data, uh, sorry, contact data, not customer data. Uh, uh, You could have like this script that would automatically say, you know, hi, and then put in the the, the name of the person, Kelvin. I'm calling you today on Thursday in order to talk to you about this product. 
this product is highly used by charity calling organizations. If you ever, call, ever get a call by a charity asking you for money about some product, it most likely it's actually a third party organization that charity is paying to do the calling for them. Yeah. These are still in use today. They're still highly popular. Now, I, I then went to my boss essentially and said, this is terrible. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I can do better than this with Twilio, uh, what we have today and React. Um, and I'm going to New York soon for a holiday. If you give me two weeks and I, can, and I have something better than this, will you buy it off me as a monthly subscription and my own product? Now, he said yes, because I don't think he thought I could do it. But jokes on him, I was on the aeroplane the whole way over writing session authentication code that works with Redis and Vlask, and it was awesome. And then we got to New York, and I, I remember half my holiday got wiped out by a tornado that year. I was supposed to go to Florida, and I couldn't anymore, so I was stuck in New York for another week. We were just sort of sitting around having fun in Central Park. And I'm on my laptop writing all this, um, you know, React code for the interface that gets a contact and put it into Redux and everything like that. It was actually a lot of fun for me. I know that sounds like I completely blew a holiday in New York, but to me, that is the holiday. Yeah. <laughs> it's coding with a view, coding. right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It was awesome. And there were squirrels everywhere that we saw someone having a wedding. It was fantastic. I couldn't have had a better view for my IDE and me. <laughs> I got back and I had the product. And essentially that first month, I had my first client with 21 people, 21 seats, and we're making $2,000 a month off of it which was awesome. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, so it's basically the product idea came out of a need that you saw in the company that you were working for. Exactly. It's a real pain point that they had. It's something sucked within the organization. There was a process that sucked. There was something that just dragged people down and they didn't like, and I created something better that could solve that need. Now, fast forward a long time later, I had almost completely forgotten about this product. They weren't using it anymore. And then I get a phone call from former employees of that company who said they were starting their own company and they needed a system like that and there was nothing else out there on the market like it. Now, that's sort of exactly what you want to hear if you're selling something, right? And so essentially, I was more than happy to sell it to them. And then Bob's your uncle. I was making $3,000 a month profit off this product again. Hmm. I was at my current job and I thought, you know what? How many opportunities in life do you get like this where someone's coming along and paying good money for something that you've built on the side and I should probably go and focus on it. Yeah. So you were working full time. You spun it back mm -hmm. up, uh, rebranded it. This is it. in 2021. Yeah. And you spun it back up in your spare time, rebranded it mm -hmm. and then started selling it to, to this client that you had Correct. whilst you were still working. Yeah. You're still working full time at that point. Correct. And I didn't stay there for long after I spun it back up. That was really a, I need to go work on this immediately sort of moment. Yeah, that's right. So before we move on to the next section, I want to talk about the name from the first product. So I remember we discussed yes. this and you yep. wanted to call it Good Call. And I mm. was really excited about that name because I really like plays on words like that. You know, it's basically, and it's not a, it's I not still a got the domain. complicated. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's not hugely complicated, but it's a really nice it's a really nice play on words because it's like good call, like as in you did something, you said something good and that's a good call. But then yep. the good call, I, I, I'm explaining something very simple here. But for me, I really love that name, but we could, you couldn't name it that because you couldn't get a domain, right? I No, you know what? I think I, I believe I've still got goodcall.io registered. 
I believe that's really? still mine. Yeah, sitting somewhere in my registrar, maybe in Google Domains actually still. Uh, but yeah, I've still got that one. Why did you call it good call? Why did you go with nice call? No, no, why do you do anything in life? It was a dumb decision. Why did I call it 23 Shout? There is a story behind it, but it's like, you know, you just need a name that's a name that's a name. And 23 Shout, I don't know why, but it's a good name. It sticks. Yeah, good call. Sticks with you. Man, good call was so good. I was so excited <laughs> about that name. But essentially, I quit my job, which was an extremely terrifying thing to do. I'll never forget getting on that huddle that morning with my HR manager. And, you know, I, I was I was even saying this the other day, Kelvin. HR is the one department, whether they schedule the video call or you schedule the video call, you're both really worried something's about to happen. You know, it's you're, the, hey, you're both on edge. I need to talk. <laughs> we need to talk. Can we talk later today around 2 p.m.? Sure thing. You both know what's about to happen. <laughs> <laughs> you can't schedule a meeting like you can in IT. It's, it's only for resignations. Um, I quit my job. I was now... Without an income, I had a rent. I had a partner who I was also supporting who was full-time at university and did not have income. It was a pretty terrifying place to be. I had just enough money for a house deposit, which I lost, obviously. And towards the end of that period, when I ran out of money, I essentially had to go to um, a VC. I had to go to somebody to inject more cash into the company to continue getting it where it needed to be. But the big issue is why I got to that point, which is that I fell into the trap that so many technical founders fall into. And this is lesson number two. As a founder, I, I focused more on the technology than I did on sales. And lesson number two is that you really can't engineer your way to a profit. Caveat, unless you're 10 times better than whatever is already out there. So you will never be able to use programming and code to make your product more profitable in the way that you need it to be. Unless your chat GPT levels better than whatever is already out there. And I really do mean you have to be that next iteration of, you know, AI or this next iteration of something. You have to be 10 times better that people will actively want to sign up on a wait list for your product in order to get it. And that's rare. That's really rare. That's so rare. I'm just going to tell you now, it's not the case and it's not going to happen for your product. It didn't happen for my product. It will never happen for my product. It's not going to happen for your product unless you're Sam Altman at over at OpenAI or you're someone at Apple. Or you're really lucky. So there is always an element of luck. And in some cases you can get lucky or yeah, but even then it's very unlikely. It's very unlikely. It don't count on it happening. No, Sales should still be your, your, you know, your, 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 your how, I don't even know what to say it is. It's your lifeline. It's the only thing that's going to keep your company alive. If you think of a, a company as a person, a person needs a job. If you don't have a job, you don't have income. You don't have income. You don't have food or housing or roof, you know, the, just the basics. You don't have the basics. It's the exact same thing for a company. A company is an entity. It needs an income. It needs sales. And unfortunately, that means doing the really boring thing that you absolutely hate. Can I unpack how you got to the point of, so you said you're in the trap and, you know, where where software engineers, we like to build things. And so you fell into that trap. Yes. You released a product, you had a yep. client, uh, and you basically burned all your runway. Uh Continuing yes, to iterate which is my on the personal product. savings. Yeah, continuing yeah. to iterate on the product. Um, 
instead of focusing on getting new clients. Mm -hmm. And so, but so for that stage of development, you, you would have fallen into the bootstrapped founder market because you built the product without any funding. And then you went mm -hmm. solo using your personal savings as a runway to try and get the product. I'll never do that again. Yeah. <laughs> to try and get that product functional. And so then you burned through your runway, engineering your way to success. Yes. Uh, it was a beautiful product. It just didn't make any money. Yeah. <laughs> so how many clients did you have at that point when you went at the end of that? Did you have any, did you still have just that first client? I'd only managed to get two. And the first client was extremely shaky. Their business was very variable. Was variable. Was yeah, so they'd it. go so, up and down in call cost spend and number of agents every month. Absolutely. And then also, as of course, as you go into the end of year period, there's always a business downturn for every business out there, perhaps except, you know, Christmas shops that only open during that time of the year. They have the opposite effect. They have that opposite curve on the sales mm. graph. Um, yeah, you're right. Like if you're calling working people over Christmas, they're not interested. No one wants to buy over Christmas. Everyone goes into a period whether they want to conserve money or they're just not making purchasing decisions right now because yeah. they're getting ready to go on vacation. They're spend, we'll yeah, they're spending all their money on vacations, on presents. Exactly. But it's also the true if you're selling to organizations. Even organizations don't spend that any money during that sort of period. They'll wait for the new year period to yeah. begin. And then there's a short runway where they do spend money. And then they have the middle of the financial, sorry, the end of the financial year where everything sort of resets and they start spending money again. And yeah. that Q3, Q4, in my experience, has really been where the big sales are made. Yeah. Um, venture which is supported firms, by absolutely no industry. Venture capital <laughs> firms are similar, all. right? They shut down kind of late November, early December, and then don't come back until kind of mid-January. Mm, they go skiing in the Alps. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Company. <laughs> they go swimming they in all of in your money. Year. Yeah, 100%. They take a, a well-earned holiday. Um, <laughs> I shouldn't right, say that. I do love I do love VCs. I do love VCs. I don't mean that. Yeah, yeah I might need a VC again in the future. <laughs> exactly. Uh, we'll talk. <laughs> we'll talk soon. Uh, so, sorry. I just wanted to, to get a bit of an understanding about that part of it. So, you were bootstrapped. You burned through your runway uh, engineering. And so, you're at the point you needed mm -hmm. more funding to be able to continue with this. I was in full panic mode. I, I, if, if you've you ever been well. here, then... Because yeah, we, we, we talk you know, a lot and I didn't realize you're in panic mode. Have you ever been in the situation where you know you're going to run out of money soon? The yes. bank account is approaching zero and you don't know what to do. Then you know what I'm talking about, right? You cannot sleep. You cannot sleep. You, you wake up constantly just in fear and panic of what the hell am I going to do? Yeah. And for me, I could always just get another job. But it really was at the point where if I didn't do this very soon, I was going to start overdrawing my account, begging my parents for money, essentially, like really turning to what am I going to do to get cash in? Because I have these expenses, like, again, rent is the big one. I can't get rid of rent. Yeah. I have to live somewhere. Um, you know, my, my partner as well, I was supporting. So I was paying for her food, her transport, everything like that. And on top of that, just like the expenses of the company, I still had to pay for personally, even though I was absolutely checking every single dime that came in and out, I would log on at certain times just to reduce the server count because I knew I wouldn't need it. Or I would reduce the server count to zero at times because I knew that they just weren't going to be making calls. There's no point having any servers online. 
I was in full panic mode. I'm very, very lucky that I actually caught up with a friend at the time who just happened to reach out. Uh, He wanted to go and chat about what I was up to. He heard I'd gone and started this uh, company. And actually, interestingly, I did. I when I quit my job, they were VC funded. And the very first thing that happened after I quit my job is they reached out to me and they wanted to talk. And they were like, "You you quit? (laughs) You have a startup? We we fund startups. Let's talk." But I went to this friend, and I had a chat to them, and they were essentially saying, "Um." Oh, so yeah, it looks like you could probably use some, a couple of things. First of all, we need to get you some cash. Second of all, we need to get you some mentorship and guidance on how to actually do this thing. Mm. Uh, And third of all, we need to give you a bit of a structure. So we need to give you an actual somebody there to actually talk to you beyond mentorship on more, almost like a daily basis, just to, to keep you on track with, you know, up the business, what you should be doing. You should be doing this. You shouldn't be doing that. Um, and guess what? I'm, I'm about to become a mentor in one of these um, VCs. You should apply to it and we'll see what happens. Are now, you not I'm mentioning your friend's f- name deliberately? I feel like I shouldn't mention it without uh, in public without it, their permission. Oh, but fair enough. Yeah. They are, I'm, I'm internally grateful to them. They were very, very um, helpful to me at a really, really good time, really, really perfect time in my life. Yeah, and really supportive too. Did you now, say internally VCs are grateful awesome. or eternally grateful? Did I say internally? It sounded like internally, and I think you meant eternally. I was both internally and <laughs> eternally and externally grateful <laughs> for the help that they gave me at that time in my life. That was very, very much appreciated. Now, my opinion on VCs has changed. Before I went into that, I was a bit of a... Um, I think we can both agree, Kelvin. I was almost like a little bit immature in the industry and just sort of like, you know, screw these rich people, blah, 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 blah. They're actually good people. They do good work. Yeah. Not all of them are people I can really say I would hang out with and have a beer with, but most of them are fantastic people. I'm not going to put that in the podcast. Now, my opinion on VCs has completely changed. No, I'm not going to put that in the podcast either. I love VCs. (laughs) I think think you can say... (laughs) I, I think you can safely say that, but you had gone into this wanting to bootstrap it because you didn't mm-hmm. have a favorable opinion of venture capital firms, uh, and, and rightly my, or wrongly. Yeah, my past experience with them, my past experience with like small founder groups, was that they gave me really crappy deal offers. Yeah. Um, now this was actually looking back is because I was talking to completely the wrong people. I was talking to people with who were very small time who wanted to act like big time. And so part of that was they just gave you stupid offers hoping that you would take it and they would get lucky at some point. Now that works for them on some level. But when you talk to people who are actually a bit serious about this, you're going to find that there's fantastic founder support out there. And I'm not just talking about money. Money actually has very little to do with it. Now, don't get me wrong. I needed money and money does make a difference in companies, but the actual knowledge that they can provide you and connections that they can hook you up with. Yeah. That's the real, real knowledge. Um, that's the real benefit that you're getting from VCs. Especially in B2B sales. So business to business sales. You're talking mm-hmm. to an organization who has effectively helped start hundreds, if not thousands of businesses. Like the, the doors mm-hmm. that opens in yeah, B2B sales is, is enormous. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Now you're going to find that most of the, 
even when you're talking to VCs, they'll like, for example, one of the first things they told me is one of the first things my mentor told me was, uh, you're going to hear a lot of noise, a lot of noise and a lot of people with opinions. And it might even come from the CEO of this fund. Please feel free to completely ignore that. Please feel free to completely ignore what we say and do what you think is correct because no one will understand the position of being in the pilot seat like you do. That is also fantastic. Yeah. That's extremely good advice. All the time you will see founders who just do whatever their VC wants because they're just praying, praying for another round (laughs) of of cash injection into the company or because they think that they know best because they're the ones with the money, right? They're the big time billionaire investor. Yeah. No, not really. They're not really in the pilot seat. The person who should be making these decisions is the person actually flying the plane, not the person right. in the back seat offering critiques on absolutely everything that they do. But it's also, it's they didn't say, you know, they said, feel free to ignore it. It's like, listen to this information and evaluate mm. its utility for your unique circumstances. Or not. Yeah, we'll evaluate it. And if you evaluate it and it's not right for your unique circumstances, then don't listen to it. Don't take the advice. And this actually did come up later on in uh, during the, the lifetime of the company where, you know, I, I don't want to skip way too far ahead, but we were holding ABM sessions essentially with, um, and, and some of the people sitting in on it were actually from the fund. And they would mention, so did you actually bother looking into this thing that we talked about at the last ABM? You know, and you, if you just sit there and very calmly and plainly explain that I don't think it's the correct direction because if we look into it, you'll find that the profits are lower than what was actually proposed in the upside case of our current direction um, and the time commitment that we would have to give it. Like if you actually go into it and talk about it properly and explain why you didn't think that was correct, they will immediately accept that and back back down. Um, you know, these are business people. They are money people. Yeah. They're very logical. And if you give them a logical, well thought out answer, they will happily ex- accept it, assuming it makes sense. Yeah. But if, you, if you're think, hearing this, if you're just trying to get funding, and this is, this is actually lesson number three, if you're just trying to get funding just because you think that startups have to have funding or you think it's like just the normal part of a startup to have funding, think again. Lesson number three is don't go for the money unless you actually know down to the penny what you're going to do with it and how it's going to help or you're going to waste it, right? Now, people might disagree with this, but I do think that you should have a plan for the money that you're actually going for. And when I say down to the penny, okay, sure, you can put that extra subscription for that service you never thought you would sign up to in there or something like that. But if you're going to take the money and just say, well, now what? Oh, I'm going to use it to hire somebody. Uh, They're going to do sales or something like that. Bad move, man. And they, you know, they sh- they shouldn't have really given you the money without this plan. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was actually a business plan of some them. kind, maybe. Yeah, exactly. Some a lot of people just end up with cash because a lot of amateur investors just say, "Okay, well, I'm going to invest in your company." Yeah, it's the hype train. What are you investing in? Yeah, yeah. And I've actually got a, a fantastic example that happened for twenty three sharp later down the line where I did know exactly what I needed with the money. Um. I saw all sorts of wastage going around. I saw people spend money on DMARC certificates, I believe they're called, which give you that little verified badge in Gmail. $2,000 for that. $2,000. Wow. For DMARC. I don't think that's going to have a huge sales conversion increase. Count me wrong. I'm sorry to all the DMARC salespersons out, the salespeople out there. I just don't think it's going to... 
I just think that's a waste of cash, right? It's like and also we on have software p- products. Yes, patents on software products because, you know, they talk about well, our startup has value because we have a patent on our product. You know what? <laughs> if your product was really valuable or innovative, pro- innovative, probably there was going to be a patent on it already or somebody else would be doing it already and you wouldn't be the first person to come along and patent it. Man, you got ripped if you put a patent on something and it's not truly innovative. Or a physical hardware product, which you probably do need a patent on. But it's going to do absolutely nothing if someone in China decides to rip off your product. Yeah. Now, so things you, are looking up at this point. Yeah, yeah. So you're on the lesson. Sorry, no, I was just reading my notes. No, yeah. yeah. So you're on the lesson. Don't take money unless you know what you're going to do with it. Correct. You don't need money just because you're a startup. Okay. That's not, doesn't have to be the normal part of a startup journey. And I know it's something you're very passionate about, Kelvin, which is bootstrapping a startup versus uh, actually getting funding for a startup. And and, uh, the reason for that is I've seen many cases where you become beholden to your investors. And it depends on the quality of your investors. Uh, Absolutely. But we have seen it where you go from, you start a business because you want to be your boss and you have a vision for your company. And you end up just getting a boss because they've, invested in and purchased significant equity in your company and now you're beholden <laughs> to them and so yeah, yeah that's true me personally it, and i say this now and my opinion may change but my personal goal is to start bootstrapping companies and just fund my way through that with consulting yep and you know it, it is funny you do have this sort of almost fear of your investors a little bit and uh what your investors are going to think of it. I shouldn't have. That was really silly looking back. As long as you try, as long as I tried, they were going to be fine with it. And I still remember the day when I was talking to them and I said, I'm going to wind up the company. And I, I, you know, I read through all the term sheets and I know I have to return any remaining funds in the bank. And they just said, don't worry about that. You, you just do a payout to yourself. Take the extra money. It's all good. You, you can gave keep it that your $25 left in the <laughs> <laughs> No, there was a couple of grand in there. But it was well appreciated for me. Yeah, um, I didn't difference. have much at the time, even. But they were totally fine with it, and and the response has always been just come back when you have another idea, because you know if it's a good one, we'll talk about it. It's never been go somewhere else, right? They've been very supportive and very kind people. Um, cool. If you want to know about the terms, what did I get done for? I got a fantastic deal. This is a, this is almost like a golden deal. So I'm going in there with um, two customers. Not much revenue, all things considered. No sales process. And I'm also out of money personally. So I'm going in there basically willing to take anything. If a, if this was a bigger company and I was going in there and I was in this desperate times, the company would take me for everything they could get, right? They know you're in a bad position mm. and they would just abuse it. They would really leverage that. I got done for 10% of the company for $200,000. That's pretty good. It's a pretty good deal. That's a really good deal. Oh, and also, I got six months of accelerator-ship, yeah. mentorship, and um, essentially uh, uh, lessons with people who were experts, like Waheed even, who we have uh, on one of our podcasts, on things like sales and setting up that sales pipeline. That's a good deal, man. Yeah, it's a good You should deal. take that deal. That's a really good deal. Um Things are looking up for twenty three shout. This is the big turnaround point for for what we would for what we were doing. You know, suddenly we actually had a sales process coming on board. Suddenly we actually had a, a, another employee coming on board, so they could actually focus on programming 
and I could focus on sales and then we can have no slowdown in the actual company's product development, right? We can continue building out features for uh, and, and bug fixes and things that need to be improved, hmm. uh, et cetera, while I actually go out there and secure some clients. Yeah. That's a really good deal. That's really fantastic. The company was in a good position. We even got our first big deal lead. So this is our big enterprise deal, which I also talked about in, a, in the other podcast with Wahid. Um, this thing just absolutely consumed everything. So this is with a enterprise level company. Essentially, they found 23Shout via a LinkedIn post. So never underestimate just putting out updates about your company and your product and what it can do on LinkedIn because they literally just saw a feature update that I'd posted come through their network. Uh, and, and someone within the company was currently tasked with finding a way to record the calls that their customers make. So I can't go into the specific applications of who it was or what they were doing, even though the project project doesn't even exist anymore. But essentially, they had customers who then had uh, follow-on customers. And by legislation, the customers' calls between them had to be recorded so they could then randomly review them every now and again and make sure they're compliant. Um, that was the one requirement that they needed to, 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 to fill. And this is what I love about enterprise sales. It's always just one requirement and just some data privacy law that you have to adhere to, which is always pretty easy. And so they found 23Shout and they called me up and we're having a video call and said, so your system can record phone calls? I was like, yes, that's right. And it's like, oh, okay. Um, and it can work on their phones. They can just download it. I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's right. And I even just gave them a demonstration. I like, check this out. So I've got the Apple here on my phone. I'm going to call you. And so I called him through the phone. I'm like, see, it's working. And I'm going to hang it up. And now I'm going to go onto the website or even through the app and I can just listen to the recording again. He's like, oh, can I listen to that? I'm like, yeah, yeah, we can like, you know, I'm telling him what everyone said. Yeah, yes, you can log in as the administrator of the linked account and just review the call recordings whenever you need to. He's like, could I get them emailed to me like once a month? I'm like, yeah, we already have that with uh, with scheduled reporting. Now, we didn't have scheduled reporting. We didn't have linked administrator accounts. <laughs> you know, you just tell them what they want to hear. They've got every feature they want to hear. And they're like, oh, okay, cool, cool, cool. So, uh, yeah, we'd be looking to do about um, about 3,000 seats in the first month. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, here's our pricing. Is that going to be an issue? He said, nah, no, nah, no, nah, it's not an issue. He's like, that's actually pretty cheap. I'm like, oh, really? <laughs> really? And in my note head, I'm like, oh, self. I got to increase. Yeah. yeah, note to self, increase pricing for client. Um, so I got off the call. I'm like, okay, this is actually going somewhere. Maybe they seemed really, really uh, very serious about it. Unlike some sales calls you do where you get off the call and you're just like, no way they're going to buy it. There's just no way. They tell you they're going to, it's not going to happen. Hmm. They came back. Eventually the, it, the entire cost of what they were willing to spend amounted to $12 million in the first year of having them as a customer. Australian dollars, if that makes any difference. Yeah. And 10 million of that would have been profit. Pure profit to 23 Shell. Yeah, I remember yeah, how excited bad, eh? you were about that deal. Oh, I was so excited. Mate, it was... Uh, you you were, know what? Who else was excited? You were dreaming Tesla at that point. <laughs> oh, I was picking it out. I was like, should I get the red one, the black one? What do I do? No. Um, but essentially, I had to tell the... The VC found out anyway through the next ABM meeting. Uh, which is that we presented the upside case of if we secure this client. And it was quite funny, right? You see the uh, the baseline, the downside, and the upside. 
what happens if we lose these clients? What happens if we just continue with our sales um, uh, velocity as normal? And what happens if we get the best possible outcome from our entire sales pipeline? And the thing just shot into the air and they were saying, is there a mistake with this graph? I'm like, no. No, there is not, as we'll discuss in the next slide. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we went into it and it was only, uh, you know, the VC was very excited that, you know, like you were going to be a unicorn, Patrick, you're going to be the, the next unicorn. You know, I, I'd already had like the paper sh- paper mache horn that I've made at home. And I was sticking it to yeah, my, yeah. no, I'm kidding. That wasn't. Pat's that ego wasn't expands fun. and he can't get out the door. Yeah, which really happens as well. Like ego is a huge thing with uh, with startups, especially once you do get funding. You think you're like a rock star and people kind of treat you like a rock star a little bit in the startup community as well. It's, it's like this thing that people are always chasing after. And this is part of that, what we just talked about, which everyone thinks they need funding to be a startup. And it's just not true. Once you have funding, you're hot, you know, you're hot within the community, which is just totally wrong. You're not hot. Anyone can get funding. If you get 20 bucks from your parents, you've been funded. Yeah. Well, not right. everybody can get VC funded and get through an accelerator. Like they do have a fairly rigorous entry process. So it is something to be proud of. It's well, not something they to let go to expect- your head, but it is something to be proud of. I will of. say a lot of people in that cohort flunked out. Some of them actually got forced out and part of their um, contracts with, with them their term sheet was that they have to return property and things like that because they were just completely dishonest. That does happen. Yeah. There's a lot of people who are just uh, um, getting money who shouldn't have money is a good way to put it. And they somehow just managed to fool VCs and uh, uh, create f- uh, fraudulent financial records or just obscure the facts, for example. Hmm. Um, that does certainly happen as well. And don't forget 90% of startups fail within their first year. And then the next year, 90% of those fail. And the next year, 90% of those fail. So it doesn't matter if you get funding. Remember Fast.com very recently with Dom Holland, how much money they had and they completely failed. Yeah. I don't know much about that. Yeah, I remember seeing it on LinkedIn. There's a lot of cases of of like commercial failure, I should say. Technically, it's not like failure, isn't it? Something to be ashamed of. It's commercial failure at the business. The business went broke. Um, they do happen despite having funding. Yeah. Right? It does, Theranos is <laughs> obviously a completely different story, but how much funding did they have and it couldn't save them forever? We had the big deal lead. Very excited. Everyone's very excited at this point. 23 Shout's going to be huge, absolutely huge. In fact, and now comes to what I was actually going to mention earlier, which is a great case of spending money. We sat down and I actually realized that the total expenses in the first month alone, just to have this client on the platform, exceeded the cash reserves of the company, which meant just to keep the servers on and for me to pay the phone bills in the interim to get this client actually through their first month, we would have gone broke. Hmm. Good problem Which to is have. actually a fan. Fantastic problem to have, yeah. right? That's really awesome. So what do you do then? You go straight back to your VC. You tell them what's happening. They absolutely jump over the moon because this is a fantastic excuse to give you a bridging round. <laughs> and they yeah. give you the cash that's required just to get that first invoice out the door after the first period. And uh, essentially, so that so everything's going really great. How did it go wrong? Yeah. What happened? It was 
you know, it, it, I actually got a call from my contact. We'd done redlining contracts. We'd gone back and forth. We'd figured out all the legals. Both sides were happy. What an experience, by the way, just seeing how the way lawyers like to talk to each other for the first time. Boy, they're harsh. Um, everyone's happy. They're ready to go. I get a call from my contact over there. I've gone through the purchasing communities. Everything's done. I get a call from my contact over there, and he says, this is it. I've talked to my head of department. Everyone's ready to go. If you get me that contract this morning by 10 a.m., I'll get it back to you countersigned by 2 p.m. I'm like, done. You got it, buddy. I signed the contract. I scan it through. It's all done. <laughs> it's in his inbox. He's ready to go. 1 p.m., 2 p.m., 3 p.m., 4 p.m. What's going on? Something's going on here. I text the guy. Hey, mate, all all right? You know, I'm a little bit nervous. I get a call at 5 p.m. First thing he says is, hey, Patrick, I'm really sorry to tell you this, but because of the Ukrainian war, the price of materials have gone up. Our investors have been spooked and they've pulled the plug on our expansion. My entire department's just been dissolved and I've lost my job and we can't go ahead with the contract. Man, Oof. yeah, talk yeah. about gutting. That sucked. And, you know, obviously I was saying, oh, I'm really sorry you lost your job, mate. That's horrible. And he's saying, oh, we're going to try and get you in there anyway. We'll see if there's another department that needs the software. In my head, I'm just thinking, oh, my God, that is the most startup thing that can possibly happen. That is so yeah. startup. That is so startup. That's also enterprise sales. And that's why enterprise deals cost a lot more because they take a lot of time, they take a lot of effort, uh, mm -hmm. and they don't always go through. So you need to make up for the cost of all the ones that don't go through and all the time and effort you put into the ones that do go through. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's the fourth lesson is that we shouldn't have treated it as such a big deal. It's not a big deal. It's just another lead. We put a lot of effort into getting that thing going. Uh, and, and building out the stuff that they needed and ignoring the development and sales pipeline that we already had in place. There were people we'd call back and they would say, we haven't heard from you in a while. Hmm. And at the time, it, at the time, like, you know, we had to choose. We only had limited resources and, and time to actually spend doing things. And the choices were between a client who was going to make us 300 bucks a month, maybe, and one that was going to make us $12 million a year. You know, like, which one are you going to put the effort into? It, it sounds like... But we shouldn't have. It sounds like you shouldn't have had a, like, full-time developer working on it. It sounds like you should have had... Because like, the, those smaller deals are important. And, but this big deal is a big deal. It is something that requires your attention. But I think mm. you could have built... You personally could have, like, handled the bigger deal and built the technical requirements for that. And instead of having mm -hmm. another developer, because you already had a very polished product, it would have been better spending the, the wages on a salesperson rather than yeah, a, another technical person. Well, I can go into that later, but it, okay. it, having a salesperson, like I already had the developer. What am I going to do? Like just say, hey, I don't need you anymore because I'm focusing on something else. Yeah, the ruthless businessman would actually do that, but... You yeah. know, I'm not an asshole. I don't want to take away. I convinced this guy to quit his job to come work for 23 Shout and he had a wife and two kids. I don't want to be the person that says, you have to go find another one. I'm going to give him work to do, even if we had nothing to do. But the fact is, we did have stuff to do. And oh, I had stuff to do, do for yeah. the sales as well. I know. But we, um, and also under hiring a salesperson, I'm not a salesperson. I've never hired a salesperson before. I've never set up a sales team. 
yeah, that's going to be a, a learning experience for me, but it wasn't the one that I had the time to go through during a massive enterprise sale. Or maybe it was. Maybe I should have looking back. Yeah, I was actually I, more I genuinely... referring to before you put the developer on at all. Like, I think oh, you, yeah. instead of hiring the developer, actually for either focusing on getting a co-founder, mm. a sale like a sales-oriented co-founder, but that's very difficult, or employing mm. a salesperson. And this is like lessons in yeah. hindsight. And I wonder, that's what I take out of what you've said. Uh, and yeah. I don't know if I'm skipping ahead in the lessons, sorry. No, that's okay. But no, you're completely correct. And, and you know, easy to do is easy to say. Um, finding a co-founder is one hell of a tricky thing, especially amongst sales. I found a lot of sales people to be, you know, very salesy. They'll sell themselves and they'll try and get <laughs> yeah. more, than, more than they're actually worth out of the deal. For example, it's hard to find a good commercial person. Normally the person you need in commercial is a person who doesn't want to be in commercial. I sure as hell didn't want to be in commercial. Um, and and the, the decision was made very early on that, you know, founder-led sales should be the way to go. Uh, it should be one of the founders who actually, I was the only founder. Yeah. Uh, it should be one of the founders who actually does sales. I'm the only founder. Ergo, I should be doing sales and someone else should be doing tech. Whereas I know now, like I completely accept I'm much more comfortable and better at doing technology than I am at sales. And that's where I should be. Yeah. Um, as opposed to, uh, um, you know, as opposed to being out there and cold calling people, which genuinely... I can do if you put a phone in my hand. I'm not afraid to talk to people on the phone, but like at all, I just really hate it. <laughs> I really hate doing cold call sales. I hate trying to get through the person at reception. I hate it when they turn on you and you're talking to some CEO of a company and you think he's probably a nice guy and he turns out to be a complete arsehole on the phone, you know, and he's, he's berating you because your sales script is crappy. I'm just like, my God, dude, you're worth how much money? And you talk to people like this every day. Mm. Uh, Anyway, the, the other part was that, you know, when we first launched 23 Shout, uh, we had a competitor, or like looking around, there wasn't much. Mm. There wasn't, so when we first launched Nice Call, there was genuinely nothing. There was like genuinely nothing except one person in the market who is currently the market leader. Uh, and I completely forget their name because I blanked that period from my, my life. I think they called Ring Central, something like that. Not Ring Central. It doesn't matter. Uh, but back then there were this, some crappy HTML website that never worked. These days they are a multi-billion dollar global company. Congratulations to them, not salty or whatever, but they were rapidly outpacing and becoming the market leader, right? The market was changing so quickly that 23 shout genuinely couldn't keep up. They were absolutely saturated as saturating social media advertising, just any channel they could with their brand right? It was impossible for us to keep up without some sort of major investment and, and, and enormous team acquisition of professionals who actually knew what they were doing in every department instead of just, you know, me, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, screwing around in Google ads or something like that. So takeaway number five is really to know when the time isn't right for a new competitor in the field. Yeah, you might have a viable business and it could be a good small business, but if you're never going to be able to play in that market fairly because somebody is on a rocket ride to the top of it and you can't catch up with them, it might not be worth the time and investment to actually even try. And that was sort of where we were approaching with uh, 23 Shout. 23 Shout just couldn't keep up. It didn't have the funds. 
I think it wasn't possible. I think it's important to like if you're just a like a like for like competitor, then definitely. If you have a unique yeah. angle or a unique market that you specifically tailored to, so for example, sure. If if you were like if they're targeting call centers and it's not great for tradespeople, for example, and you were just targeting tradespeople, even though you're both call center apps, uh, or like you know phone call apps, if you're very targeted to a small niche market, then then you potentially can. But it also depends on what you need to get out of this. So for example, once you get venture capital funding, they're generally looking for you to become a unicorn. They're looking for a 10 to 100x return on their investment. And you're probably not going to be able to do that if you're just a phone app for tradespeople. And so I think Mm. in your case specifically, the the unicorn status had been taken by this competitor. And so it was, it was very difficult for you to compete on that level. Is that right? Well, I think you, you, you just said two things there, which I think are uh, important should be talked about. The first one was the profit potential amongst tradespeople just isn't there as opposed to going after the broader market. Sure, and that was just a others. random example. Of like I know, I know, and absolutely you're correct. But you did follow on with that, which is that the VCs wouldn't be looking for that sort of outcome. Um, and separately, I would never sell the tradespeople anyway. Uh, as you know, we've talked about this separately yeah, yeah. many times, but they're a difficult market to go after. The VC outcome would be looking for the 10x profit potential. VC outcomes have a spread of outcomes that they expect within any particular uh, um, cohort on averages, right? They just know on average, one or two might 10x, um, which is enough to make up for the entire fund failing, by the way. Mm. If just one or two 10xs, everybody else, it doesn't matter what happens to them. Uh, so as long as they get that one, they're happy. If they get two, they're even more happier. And Scalata has been consistently able to get their targets is a good way of putting it. They've actually been doing very well as a VC fund above average. Yeah, cool. And... They don't mind if you go below that 10x potential. So if you're doing as a startup and you have a VC, you have investors, don't freak out because you're not 10xing. If you're making a profit, you're making them happy. If you're making them happy, then they're not going to be angry with you. And even if you're not making a profit, you're using their money to learn extremely valuable lessons that you cannot really learn elsewhere. As someone with an MBA who goes through university, sorry, MBA people listening in, is not going to get the same experience that you're going to get. They're just not because you're actually in there in the in the field <laughs> learning this thing live with real money from real investors with a real product with the real market um, the hard way. These are lessons that can only be learned by failure hmm. or success of actually doing it, right? It's the same thing I always say to people who want to learn programming. I'm like, okay, well, just start programming. Find a problem yeah, to solve like, and start trying to solve it with software. Yeah, they say, well, what should I build? And I just say, well, you know, build a notepad app. Just build somewhere to store your notes of, where, of what you've learned during programming. And you can like just build onto it. You can make it so you can store multiple notes. You can make it so you can save them to disk, even probably one of the first things you should do. <laughs> you make it so you can insert formatting and sharing it. And they're like, well, how do I do that? And it's like, literally, you should probably just not really follow a tutorial. I'm happy to teach you the basics of, uh, you know, variables and how methods work and stuff like that. But after that, you should really just go at it yourself and just practice. That's just the best way you can learn anything. I wanted to ride a bike to work. I didn't know how to ride a bike. I went and bought a bike. I fell off the bike when I was riding it out of the store and everyone saw it. doesn't matter. I took Uh, it home and I learned how to ride the bike in the car park of my apartment building. 
And within a couple of weeks, I was riding that bike to work every day and I lost 10 kilos the first month I was riding that bike. That was awesome. That's how you do it. You just practice, man. So Life is all the, about just about practicing. And the lesson there is you're going to be bad at something before you're good at something. There is no path to being amazing at something complicated that doesn't start with mm-hmm. you being not very good at it or very bad at it to begin with. You got to walk before you can run, right? Exactly. I hate to say it's such a movie quote, but it's it's true. <laughs> I, I love that. Now, I embrace that. If I start something, I'm like, okay, let's just embrace being bad at it. <laughs> it's going to be yeah. bad, but that's the only way I can get to good. It's true, right? I, I wanted to play the piano. I didn't know how to play the piano either. I went and bought a piano and I literally just sat there practicing the damn piano. Man, I, I'm still not great at the piano, but I'll tell you what, I'm a lot better than I was the day I bought it. Uh, and I can actually play a tune or two, which, you know, some people mistake for me thinking I can actually play the piano. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, let's just call it there. I can play the piano. Let's not do No <laughs> yeah, requests. Yeah. No requests, anybody. <laughs> but that leads us on to key lesson number six. And this is just something that's jumping into it. At this point, I'm pretty run down. You know, I've been running the company for uh, two years. I also had a lot of medical issues at this point, which were causing me... Um, great disruption in the business and i'm happy to go into just a few of them because they're really minor i had a brain tumor but it was called really trigeminal neuralgia yeah just a little minor thing don't worry about it it's honestly once it sounds it sounds bad but once you have one for a little while you're just like oh yeah you don't have one like where's yours (laughs) when are you getting your brain tumor man uh but it was pushing on the trigeminal nerve which means i would be getting horrible nerve pain just horrible. I'd try and drink a glass of water and it was like someone was slicing my face open is the best way I can describe it. That was not a nice place to be. I lost a lot of weight because I just couldn't eat. I couldn't drink. I had to lay in bed because I couldn't do anything. Hmm. I just couldn't, I couldn't even stand up because the rush of blood through my head would cause me to go into one of these pain attacks. And so these come and go in um, waves. That's not the song lyrics. But I would be in the middle of a, a sales meeting with my developer, you know, you got to get the whole company in there to pad out the team and make it look like you're serious. And we would be talking, everything's going great. We're talking through the demo. I'm explaining the product. We're talking about the pricing for the team. What's the next steps, how they should get started. And I'll just go into one of these pain attacks and that, you know, they could see there was something wrong with me. And I would just mm. have to say, I'm sorry, we need to resume this call later. And I would just hang up the call and I would just go lay on my bed for three hours just in pain, not even able to do anything like bad enough pain. If someone asks you what's, what's wrong, you just put up your hand and say, do not talk to me. It causes me even more pain just to listen to you. <laughs> right? I'm in that sort of state. So and talking would hurt. It's as difficult. Well. Yeah. It's difficult to run a company when you wake up. And the first thing you think about is how much pain you're going to be in today. Or the first thing that happens is you wake up and have one of these pain attacks, right? Yeah. The company really suffered because of it. And I just, I lost motivation for it. I really legitimately just lost motivation for it. It was really just killing, it was killing the vibe, man. Um, And to be frank with you, I never really, like doing these sales calls for an enterprise phone system, which is what it had turned into, wasn't really what I liked doing anyway. It was just sort of the rush of the excitement of getting started, right? Mm. Um, And building something. That's, That's what I liked. Yeah, but I didn't like I didn't like calling random sales companies and saying, you know, hey, look, we can reduce your costs, increase your productivity. It's going to be fantastic. Takeaway number six: actually have a passion for what it is you're doing. Yeah. Like you should actually really care about this sort of stuff. And I don't just mean like 
you should care about it now. I mean, you should actually care about it in general forever because you're going to be doing it forever, potentially. And man, you're going to be doing it all day, every day, like repeatedly all the time. And it's going to turn into something that you don't like. There's going to be frustrations with it. There's going to be people who get on your nerves. There's going to be situations that just like blow up in your face. And if you don't have that passion for it to get you through it, you're going to have a hard time doing it long term. There's a couple of quotes right. that I've, I've heard. There's an expression called, so you always hear about product market fit. But I don't know, but, mm-hmm. And I think this term, the term as a product founder fit, is actually one yeah. of my favorite terms to remember. And like, if I have mm-hmm. an idea, I always think, am I going to enjoy working on this? And not just building the software part, because that's kind of always fun. It's like, mm-hmm. do I care enough about this product to push through the, the activities that I don't enjoy doing? And that's, mm-hmm. that was an, and I don't know, I'm going to butcher this, and I don't know where I heard it. It was... Maybe uh, a quote I saw from a um, for a venture capital firm or something like that, where they basically said, "You have to love the problem because mm. you are about to marry that problem for the next ten years or so." Yeah, to, and that's what mm-hmm. a lot of big companies take to get to any kind of exit. And so you have to want to solve that problem so badly that you're willing to go through the ups and downs. And you know, drag your ass out of bed and push through the difficult times because you want to solve the problem. You like you've got to have that passion. Yeah. And sometimes you see, you know, you, you see founders on Twitter who have small businesses. And I think you know exactly who I'm talking about, Gil. Um, who who you think, how did they they just got so lucky? They just got so lucky they're in the right time at the right place. And, and you know, it's it's some people say you shouldn't call it lucky. I engineer my own luck. No, you don't engineer your own luck. That's not what luck is. You can't tap into luck and create luck. You can make yourself be in more places to increase your chances of something lucky happening. What is it? Is it luck like, is preparation plus opportunity or something like that plus time? I don't know. There was some expression that I've heard, and it's like, sure, there is luck. I feel like it's just ex- it's, it's just exposure and 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 timing for me, right? Or almost just like timing I, in general. I don't think so just just spit the name out. We're not going to alienate this person. They're not going to listen to our podcast. Who is it? I, no. <laughs> is it levels? He's going to listen to our next podcast. You know, he's going to be on the on the next podcast. You guys talking shit about me? I heard it. <laughs> That'd be great. You know, if, but, if he says anything about our podcast, we are winning. <laughs> he has a huge. Audience. Yeah. True. Okay. Yeah, okay, I'll put it out there. It was Levels IO. Come on, get on here, mate. Yeah, Come yeah. on, do an interview. But no, I but like it, does does he really love the problem? Is he super passionate about photo AI? I actually think he is, uh, to some extent. Really? But he's passionate. He's an interesting case because he's like bootstrapped all the way. And yeah. but and he has what six successful products out of yeah. the hundreds, or he like close to a hundred products he has launched. So he has a goal yeah. to get to, is it 250K MRR consistently every month? So he wants to earn $3 million a year. That's uh, <laughs> just a, a noble little goal. And so, and a lot of people <laughs> ask him why he keeps going. And he keeps yeah. saying that like, a man without a goal is a man without a purpose. Some, some, I'm, I'm misquoting. Right. It's, it's, like it's, it's, the, it's the tale of Sisyphus, right? And rolling the rock out the mountain. It sounds like a punishment from Zeus. Have you heard? You've heard this tale, of course. No. 
So he was um, he was punished by Zeus to roll a boulder up a mountain every day of his life, and then it would roll back down. And at nighttime, he would have to walk down to the bottom of the mountain to roll it back uh, up again okay. the next day for eternity, right? And so even to, even to this day, thousands of years later, he's still rolling that boulder up the mountain. Sounds like a punishment, but what uh, I guess Zeus wasn't counting on was that Sisyphus was smiling the entire time he did it. Right. Because it gave him a purpose in life. Yeah, It gave him something to do. Yeah, you know, something to push against. Yeah, so I, um, I don't think you can say that levels is entirely luck based because it's it's where you've got preparation and opportunity. So that makes sense because he has been spitting out products at a at an amazing rate of knots and validating them quickly. Oh, absolutely. And then yeah, yeah. by the time the AI gold rush presented itself, he was in a unique position a- to be able to capitalize on it. Because he'd spun correct, out so many products before that that he you're, knew you're how to do it. No, no, you're absolutely correct. I don't deny that. Um, but does he have like a, a even to this day? Do you think he's like super passionate about about AI products, or is it just the fact that it's is it the success of the products that keeps him going? I think for him, it's the success of the products. But he has six different products, and most of his products are quite small and focused, and so he can just spin out another product if he if he doesn't really enjoy this one. And then just maintain. Are you a customer? Sorry? Are you a customer? Are you a customer of any of those products? Did you uh, go to Photo AI for your portraits? It wasn't Photo AI. It's another product that he has. AIportraits.com? Yeah, it's yeah. They're the ones that I got done were one of his products because I just wanted to test his. I okay. wanted to see what his process was like because it was a very hmm. basic website plus a type form. Oh, I would love to talk about that if we got him on. It's I think it's uh, just PHP, jQuery, and inline CSS, according to his Twitter. Yes, which In uh, one as a developer, single PHP file. <laughs> as a as a web developer, I want to throw up all over the floor. But as a uh, you know someone who who does startups, okay, you know just do whatever you need to do to get your prototype out there. I guess. Yeah, but like that was genius. I looked at that. I'm like, oh my god, this is amazing. It's just a simple PHP form with a lot of text on it. And then I, I and, and a type form, literally a type form that he set up to collect all the information. And then I paid him yeah. fifty dollars or something like that to get these AI portraits he got generated. You. He got you. Yeah, no, like it, it, it's brilliant, right? It's brilliant. But anyway, back to the talk. Sorry, <laughs> random detour over. Yeah, so after that, it was all about shutting it down. And I already went into this briefly earlier, but essentially it was as much as just going to my mentor at the time and saying like, look, here's, here's the rub, man. Um, and this is, I, I think I think you won't even find me on the portfolio list. I think they get rid of companies that are technically shut down. But I just said like, I can't do this anymore. I've had all of this stuff happen in my life. It is not possible for me to continue until after my treatment. And even after my treatment, I think it's done its toll on me anyway. I've been completely burnt out by this. Um, it's it's run its effect on my health and my relationship. I can't possibly go on like this anymore. I, I just can't do the problem. Yeah. I can't do the company. Like, And of course, their reply is like, do you think just given enough time off, you'd be able to get back to it? And my reply was, I think it's tainted to, to me forever. Yeah. I think the business itself, the, the space itself to me is just, you know, I've gotten a lot of experience in it, a lot of knowledge in telecommunications now, which I didn't have before as well, is, which is really interesting. But the whole idea of this area of my life and professional development, uh, I just can't touch anymore. It's like a it's like a hot stove in my mind. I touch it and it brings back too many bad memories of just writhing in pain in bed or being 
in um being in, in the emergency room which happened a few times so they're just pumping me full of ketamine which did nothing by the way uh yeah i just can't do it and so the again that was the reply just take the money in the bank account we know you tried we don't care just let us know when it's officially delisted and we'll stop sending you reports to fill out yeah right how 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 brilliant of a response is that from your vc like how how perfect is that? You don't even they didn't even get angry. Yeah. You know, all all they did was like wish you well and hope that you get better and say, "Hey, when you have the next idea, come back again. We want to work with you." Like that is just like I can't again, that's just like so friendly. That's teddy bear VC level. That's what they talked. That's what they used to call it, right? That's like we're a teddy bear VC. They really were. Some VCs might even sue you. Try and get all of their money back even though it doesn't exist anymore. They didn't. So, mad respects and and appreciation to Scalata Ventures for being just genuinely good people about it. Yeah, and your what you've told me about Scalata Ventures has definitely changed my opinion in in many ways about the the value of going. Shout out to Scalata Ventures. Yeah, about the value of going through an accelerator program and getting that type of funding. Like they they and. Not all accelerators are going to be like this, but there are good accelerators out no. there, and so you shouldn't. Oh yeah, you shouldn't paint all of them with the same brush. There's yeah, no, but there is definitely crappy, tiny ones who will give you like five k, <laughs> and then their accelerator program will be their uncle who knows, uh, you know, maybe a year or two in marketing school or something yeah. like that. They'll be terrible. But Scalata had genuinely good people around them. There, there uh, are others that also they want unicorn or nothing. Like you go in, yeah, and they're only interested mm-hmm. in unicorn status, and so whereas it well, they'll like- tell you that essentially to try and motivate you. They might even just say like, you know, you need to think billion dollar instead of multi million dollar, which you should be anyway. But they, they, you know, they might be going like purposely higher to try and just like hype you up. Hmm. Sorry, I inter- interrupted that, but uh, yeah, I, I think that's no. Sorry, I interrupted you. I apologize. I just interrupted you again. You go ahead, Kelly. <laughs> no, I, I just think it's, it's a very valuable lesson there that you should, if it's right for you and right for your business, then don't be put off by potentially negative stories you've heard about other, other venture capital firms. Yeah, assess the goals that you're trying to accomplish and whether or not mm-hmm. it's an accelerator and funding is right for you. And then do your research, apply to multiples, talk to people, reach out to you. If you're thinking about going to Scalata, then, you know, find us on Twitter. Oh, well, not me, but find Pat on Twitter <laughs> and, and hit him up. <laughs> uh, you can just reach out to them directly these days. They don't even do cohorts anymore. They'll just do direct investments. So feel free to just go to their website and have a chat to Maxine. Oh, they're not doing cohorts? Whoever's over there. Yeah, they got rid of the cohort effect. They found it more effective just to do individual investments into small, uh, into companies instead. Okay. So the format changed, uh, but most definitely there's still there's still the people that you want to talk to if you have something that you need uh, taken to the next level. But that's lesson number seven, and I feel like we should actually end every podcast with this, just in the outro, which is just remember that failure is not frowned upon. My failure is a, a commercial failure or failure in general as a startup is definitely not something to be embarrassed about. It will screw you up mentally for a while because it's kind of like having, you know, like a pet die almost. It's something that you really loved yeah, you put and a lot cared of time for and, and into it. dedicated. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it just died. And all these plans and visions in, that you had in your head, poof, gone, right? They're just not happening. Hmm. But at the same time, like the way I like to think about those is that, you know, 
there was always just hypothetical money anyway that I was making and I didn't get. Like I didn't actually have the money for, from, for example, from that enterprise deal. It was never in my wallet. I never had $12 million in the bank account ready to go. Yeah. It was just hypothetical in the future. This may happen. Who knows what may have happened? Maybe they would have hated the product. Maybe they lost all their customers because it was terrible. Maybe there's a change in market conditions means they just never got there. Uh, it was hypothetical anyway. You never actually lost anything, right? So don't be upset about it. It's fine. And frankly, when you shut down a startup and you decide to move on, you really you're making the cho- you're making the, the right choice. You got two choices, right? You can either be the founder who sinks every last dollar they have into an idea, trying to make it work, and it's just not taking off, or you can be the founder who says, you know what? Yeah, I didn't get it on the first time, but my second startup, my third startup, you know, my fourth startup, that's where it actually took off. Yeah, It was that persistence and the knowledge that I gained from going from one to the next. Don't be the founder who just keeps sinking everything they have into something that's just not working. Recognize when it's time to move on or even just time to shelf it let it run itself in the background yeah, and, and work on something else. Work on something else. I think that's actually, it's, yeah. that's not as easy as it sounds. It is a difficult oh, it's hard. to know mm. when you should keep going with a product and when you shouldn't. There's many products out there and I don't have any on the top of my head that if the founder didn't persevere through hard times, then they wouldn't be a billion dollar company right now. But I think that's oh, where sure. it comes. But it's even more than the opposite. That's exactly right. And that's where it comes back to the product founder fit. Like if it's a problem that yeah. you're very passionate about and you are convinced there is a market there, even though you haven't been successful, then pushing through might be the right idea. But if you're burnt yeah. out and you don't have that product founder fit, then it's not, uh, it shouldn't be taken lightly, but it's not the end of the world if you shut no. it down or pause it and move on to another idea. Correct. No, absolutely. And you know what? If you want to push through it, I, I had been pushing through it and trying for a while. I wasn't able to get anywhere with it anyway. You know, I was pushing that rock up the mountain with no result. Yeah. Um, and I definitely wasn't smiling when I was doing it. But at the, at the point for me when I knew it was time to do something else was on a weekend when I opened up my IDE and I started coding a new hobby project. Yeah. That's in my head. I was just like, oh, I, I realized what I was doing halfway through and I realized like, oh, hang on. Uh, actually it's probably time to um, wrap this show up and go work on something else. And you know what? That hobby project is going to launch this year. It's going to be my <laughs> you've got, one of my projects. You've got three weeks until your next gig starts, so I'm expecting to see oh. some products shipped. Are you going to see hopefully two products shipped before the end of those three weeks? Yep. No, I'm expecting it. Well, you'll see one definitely. I absolutely guarantee it. Yep. Uh, the next one will be out very shortly. Um, maybe the other one. We were pretty significant way through actually getting the development done before I had to pause it for unrelated reasons that I can't even remember. But yeah, we'll get that out soon. Yeah, cool. All right, so we're bringing that to a close. So coming to a close right now, have you got any final thoughts that you wanted to to say? Yeah, I just want to, I just want to re-stress that failure is not a, uh, an issue. This yeah. is really well understood again in the United States, as we mentioned in the Waheed podcast. If you start a business and you fail, then who cares? Like, good on you. You tried. Um, they actually clap you on the back for it. In Australia, it's quite the opposite reaction. You fail a business and people laugh at you, which I've never understood. 
I just don't get that at all. And it just goes to show you those people who laugh have never tried doing that or frankly anything difficult in their entire life. Um, do not feel ashamed if you of failure, frankly. It's a, a sign of honor. The more times you've tried, the frank, more times that you will uh, impress me and Kelvin. I know I yeah. get our respect for it. Well, that's right. Keep Pick yourself up and keep going because the goal isn't necessarily mm-hmm. to have that company successful. The goal is for you to find mm-hmm. success in whatever exactly. form and actually, that you know looks what? like. Kelvin, I'm sure you can agree. Actually, one of the things I learned from that is that I don't want to run the next Facebook. Yeah. Yeah, me neither. I really don't want to run the next Facebook. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't. Frankly, I don't think I'm smart enough. Is one of the things I've learned. I'm genuinely convinced I'm not smart enough to run a company at that level. The level required of, uh, first of all, politicking. Yeah. And just general strate- strategy making and the financial markets, which I don't have that much knowledge around anyway beyond you know how to do basic investment and how you know loans work <laughs> it, it escapes me and i i find it it's a completely different topic i'm going to have to get into and just practice i guess um but i i genuinely think that my my place is better my time is better spent making these micro products you know these much smaller products yeah. with a very specific niece and purpose and just rolling them out there and seeing what happens and moving on to the next one to keep me interested yeah, and that's that's my goal as well is to build like some smaller products that serve niche-ish markets mm-hmm. uh, and products that I enjoy for people that I want to help. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it, like it, and that's that's where you define success for yourself. Some people, for some people, success mm-hmm. is running a billion-dollar company. For some people, success is you know, living comfortably, doing things that they enjoy, mm-hmm. and yep. that's where that's definitely be- where I fall into. At this point in my life, based on what you've heard, do you think you could handle the? Uh, if you would, you think that if there would ever be a time if you had a company and you needed that cash injection, would you take the VC life in exchange for board meetings, advisory boards, etc.? No, you don't think you'd do it. Not at this point. There's no problem that I want to solve that needs that amount of input at this point, mm-hmm. and I can't say that that's a permanent state of mind. I, given new facts, new problems, new stages in my life, that may change. But right now, it doesn't line up with my life goals. There's, and I do, as much as there was a lot yeah. of value in what you did there, it took up a lot of time. And for me, that's time away from mm-hmm. family, time not working on yeah. products that I enjoy working on. Uh, I can, you know, I can run small businesses and I don't need to do any of those things except for focus on the product. And I don't need the customer base for a product to be successful. It's, mm. I don't need to have that size of distribution. No. So. And, and, and honestly, uh, no, if I, could, if I could just uh, concur with you for a moment, I think I would derive more enjoyment and satisfaction out of my life spending it with friends and family than I would in another advisory board meeting. Although I got to say, I think I got, I got pretty good at those ABMs by them, the end yeah. of it, mate. I was impressed with your spreadsheets yeah. and everything like that. Oh, thank you very much. Uh, so slideshows and spreadsheets, <laughs> they were very impressive. You know, but the thing, the thing is, the thing is, at my funeral, no one's going to mention how good my damn spreadsheets yeah. were or my upsides that I'd put together in Fathom or something like that. They're going to talk about the times we spent together um, in person, I suppose. Yeah, and I think that's where... Which is what I'd rather have. That's where my goals fall to as well. Having, like, I'd like to build something that has a meaningful impact on people that I know and people that I can mm. talk to 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and develop relationships. Like your deck. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You're still working on that? No, no, the deck yeah, is yeah. done. The backyard isn't, okay. but the deck is done. Remember, Kelvin, he never finished the backyard. <laughs> oh, it'll get done. It'll get done this Christmas. We've got it all lined I'm up. Looking forward to it. Well, I haven't got the yeah, dates booked in yet, but it's it's pretty much there. But yeah, I think I think we should bring that bring bring this to a close. And that that was an excellent talk, and I appreciate you you, you reflecting and, and and going through all those lessons and and us being able to have this as more of a conversation. It was definitely harder for us to dive into the conversation in a room full of people that are expecting a talk. It's not just me and you actually talking about it. So I like I really appreciated um, this conversation. So. Yeah, that's great. Uh, so I suppose the next the next conversation like this that we're going to have is why I haven't managed to, after having been in start in and around startups for the past ten years. Uh, yeah. I have like, you and I did start a, a startup uh, way back in the day when we both knew nothing. Yeah, uh, yeah, I was nineteen years old. Yeah, that was going nowhere. Yeah, yeah. And I actually, you know what? I, I remember. I remember thinking at the time. Mark Zuckerberg was a billionaire by what, 22? I can be a billionaire by 22. Nah, mate, you can't be. Nah. (laughs) That's an extraordinary um, good timing for Mark Zuckerberg doing the the right thing while he was also doing the wrong thing. He's he's, he's a unique case, right? Yeah, I I think he's definitely a lizard. It'd be great (laughs) great for me probably to unpack that and what's been the blocker for me in actually getting products to market. Uh, so it'll be. Well, I'd actually love you to talk through it and see if I can change your mind. Yeah, uh, and that's... let's see if I can motivate you to get something out there, even if it's just a tiny little micro product. I think you can do it by the end of the year. Well, we we will see. We will see, and but it'll be a really good conversation. I think for me as well to unpack those reasons and reorient mm-hmm. uh, and see where we go. So yeah, stay tuned for future really episodes. Awesome. Yeah, stay tuned. All right. Uh, so. Yes. If people want to ask you about your experience with 23 Shout and Scalata Ventures or anything else, uh, where can they find you? <laughs> at the bottom of a whiskey bottle. No, it'll be at contact at techhuddle.show if you'd like to email us or you can ring, uh, get to me on my Twitter in my DMs at twitter.com forward slash patsnacks. That's P-A-T-S-N-A-C-K-S. How about you? So I have just gone, I've leaned into the full name on Twitter. So I'm at Kelvin Bullwinkle. If you don't know how to spell that, just uh, head on over to techhuddle.show and there's a link. There's a bunch of links all over the site. They're everywhere. You can't avoid them. They probably won't be on popping up on your screen right now or something like that. That's right, yeah. (laughs) Thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, It's been really awesome to talk to you. And Kelvin, thank you for having me on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for joining me on my podcast that you edit. (laughs) (laughs) No problem. It takes me four hours of listening to my own voice. I can't wait. if also, if you have a topic you'd like to discuss on the Tech Huddle or if you know somebody who you think would be an interesting guest to have on the Tech Huddle, please do shout out. Yeah, or uh, if that interesting really guest interested is you, getting... we'd love to talk to you. Yeah, get on here. What are you doing, mate? Yeah. Uh, we, yeah, honestly, we would genuinely love to talk to you about your story and hear what you have to say. Cool. All right, thanks, guys. See you next time. See you next time. Thank you very much. See you next episode.